0: The New Testament reading is from 1 John, chapter 2, reading the first two verses. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thank you very much, Val. We began this substantive look at the first. Uh, epistle of john uh, last week by reminding ourselves from the first chapter of the book that god is light god is light and in him there is no darkness at all that is god is morally perfect he's never done anything wrong and all his works are righteous and good and we see in the first verse of today's reading the first verse of chapter two of the book that john the author wants us to be like that My dear children, I write this, this letter to you, so that you, you also will not sin. That is, he wants all of us, from the oldest down to the youngest, including those like Eleanor, to be free of sin. He's writing so that we may not sin, to secure our holiness, our godliness, our moral lightness and that's quite a task isn't it because unlike god we have so many ways in which we might and do sin both sins of commission doing things we shouldn't and sins of omission not doing things that we should so john is not just thinking when he writes uh, to us about not sinning about the things we do do like uh, theft and deceit and even worse, adultery and murder. But he's also thinking about things we don't do that we should do uh, out of negligence and selfishness and indolence. Over 30 years ago now, there was quite a famous song that came out about the extent of sin, a slightly mocking song uh, by Neil Tennant of the Pet Shop Boys. It's a sin. Everything I've ever done, everything I ever do, every place I've ever been, everywhere I'm going to, it's a sin. The slightly mocking attitude of that song towards the idea of sin came from the author's Catholic guilt that he grew up with in a Catholic school. He was suffused with this idea that he was unable to escape sin, that he was helpless under the guilt of sin, and there was no way out. And that led him to question the very premise of sin being real. Wasn't it just this big ogre that was made up? Well, the good news from today's reading in the first epistle of John is that although sin actually is pervasive, wonderfully there is a rescue from it, there is a way out. If anybody does sin, we've read, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the saviour from sin, both as advocate and as sacrifice. And we'll spend a little bit of time just thinking about those two roles of Christ this morning. Firstly, Jesus as advocate, our advocate with the Father. Jesus' work in salvation was accomplished fully and finally at the cross. He died once for all, but his work continues in heaven. He sat down from his work of salvation, but he's continuing his work of advocacy, mediation, and intercession for us with the Father in heaven. An advocate or a mediator is somebody who speaks on behalf of somebody else, presents their case, and presses for their rights. They do so on behalf of us in the presence of an authority figure. And in this case, the authority is God the Father, Jesus is our advocate with the Father, verse 1 says. And that provides some insight for us on the differentiation between the roles of God the Father and God the Son within the Trinity. The Father having a judicial role and the Son an advocacy role. It's true that the Son will also have a judicial role at the end of time. We know that from the end of Paul's address at the Areopagus in Acts 17. He wrote that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed. And of this, he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. But for now, the father is presiding in the court of heaven and the son is advocating for us in that court. Now, that dynamic really does matter. It's not just an obscure area of theoretical theology. It matters right now because God is active in the world. And his interventions are not limited just to uh, some cataclysmic event at the end of time. God is always at work. And despite uh, mocking pop songs, deriding the idea of sin, sin nonetheless is serious. And it actually deserves immediate and full judgment. But thankfully, God is restraining that hand of judgment. And Christ, meanwhile, is interceding and advocating for us I've done a little bit of advocacy myself. Uh, all lawyers, when they're training, need to do advocacy, contentious training. And the bit of contentious experience I had when I was training as a lawyer uh, involved professional negligence trials. We acted for a firm of internation- uh, international accountancy regulator uh, in running tribunals for them, for their naughty members who have been accused of various things like um, overcharging clients and uh, fiddling the accounts and mistreating staff and other... Breaches of the ethical code. And the quality of the advocates that the accused had varied greatly. They all did have advocates who spoke for them in these tribunals, but uh, of varying quality. Uh, I remember one especially bad case of a member of this reg- uh, regulatory body who had been accused of um, forging his degree certificates in order to obtain his qualification. And he was so terrified of turning up to this uh, hearing that he just wasn't there on the day. He was uh, sitting in the, the Live Link office in Bangladesh, where he was based, attending this uh, meant to attend this tribunal in London. Uh, but he didn't speak the main language of the tribunal, and uh, he was afraid of what he'd done, the consequences that would happen, so he just didn't turn up. Thankfully, though, he had an advocate with the tribunal. He had somebody who spoke on his behalf, who presented the best possible case for him, who pleaded with the assessors and who obtained the, best, the least bad, really, possible results under the circumstances. And, you know, that member was very grateful to have an advocate who actually did speak the language, who knew what was, he was doing, was familiar with similar past cases, uh, knew how to present the case well, and fought for him, fought his corner. Now, that sort of tribunal is scary enough for naughty accountants, but a much scarier environment still was summoned up in the, the video that went with Neil Tennant's uh, song, It's a Sin, done by Derek Jarman. Uh, hellish scenes were summoned up of fire, chains, darkness, very loud music, hooded figures with grimaces on their faces, wire cages and personifications of the seven deadly sins and of a sort of God the Father type divine judge figure complete with an open book of judgment that was a place summoned up in that video uh, some would be afraid to be would be terrified to stand in and somewhere we would want an advocate to go for us in our place again the good news from this bit of john's letter is that we do have such an advocate if anybody does sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous one wonderful good news uh, the deliberately lurid imagery of that video aside, there is actually a record in heaven that is being kept of the ways we've offended against God and sinned against him. But thankfully, Jesus is on our side, arguing our case, pleading our cause, in an environment that we dare not tread in and which we only faintly understand. Well, we might think, that's wonderful, that's great that we have such an advocate on our behalf With the father. But actually, he's got pretty ropey grounds with my case. He hasn't got a lot of good material to work with in his uh, presentation. Look, I've worked hard when I was at school. I've got a job now. I pay my taxes. I'm faithful in my marriage. I tried to raise my children well. Uh, I try not to swear too much. But thinking about things in the round uh, my whole life, actually, I do occasionally break the speed limits. I have told the odd half-truth I've sometimes lost patience with people around me. I've treated myself rather than helping others on many occasions. And I regularly covet other people's houses and cars and gadgets. God is light, but I am not pure light. God is somebody in whom there is no darkness at all, as John began that letter. But in us, there is at least some darkness. Darkness. Jesus might be a pretty good advocate. In fact, he might be the best advocate we could have. But at the very best, he's only going to mitigate what we deserve. The verdict will go against us. Well, the second bit of really good news in today's reading, and the second uh, thing I really want to talk about in terms of Jesus' roles, is there in verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. Justice does indeed demand that sins are punished. That courtroom does have to uh, decree punishments for sins. And that punishment should rightly fall on us who have done wrong. But in his wonderful mercy, according to his eternal plan, Jesus took that punishment on himself as a substitutionary sacrificial atonement. He died on the cross in our place, taking the punishment we deserved on himself. As it's written in Isaiah, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, our atoning sacrifice. Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament sacrifice. Those of us who are doing a Bible in a year read-through will be getting on soon to Leviticus and all of the stuff there about the long lobes of the liver and the blood spattered about all over the place. And certainly when I'm reading through those long sections about sacrifice, the sacrificial system, one thing that keeps me going is remembering we don't have to do this anymore. This has all been fulfilled in Christ. It did matter, it does matter, but it's been fulfilled. Jesus has accomplished the once for all sacrifice that completes this system. Just as the goat was sacrificially killed under that Old Testament system to make atonement for the sins of the people, so Jesus has been sacrificially killed to make atonement for the sins of the whole world, once for all, at the cross. Under that old system, the blood of the goats that was killed, which came up a little bit earlier in Leviticus 16 before the slightly more sanitized bit of the chapter that uh, was read out for us by Susan. That blood was thrown about on the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, the temple altar, and ritually cleansed those objects. Likewise, the blood of Christ was in effect thrown around when he was on the cross, cleansing believers, giving atonement for us. The benefits of that sacrifice is what Jesus is pleading as our advocate in heaven. He's not simply presenting our case by ourselves. He's saying, yes, they have done wrong, these sort of clients of mine, as it were, these people I'm representing, they have done wrong, they do deserve punishment, but... I've interceded, I've stepped in, I've taken the punishment they deserve on me as their sacrifice. It's been fully paid for them. Well, you might be thinking, it's all a little bit gory. Lots of goat blood, human blood, Jesus' blood being thrown about, quite dark, quite medieval, quite unenlightened. I don't know if I want anything to do with this system, Well, I'm sure there's lots of medical folks in Shelford who will tell you there's a lot of quite gory, unpleasant things that are nonetheless necessary in life. Plenty of surgeons living in the village who know that there's lots of procedures that people who need when they're ill, which are pretty unpleasant and gory, but very necessary for them. And likewise, plenty of midwives around here who'll tell you that your own birth was very necessary, but pretty gory and disgusting. I certainly really don't like blood at all. I'm very squeamish. And I can rest assured, though, that in the new covenants, the wonderful thing is we don't actually need to throw blood around for atonement like we did in the old covenants. Jesus has spiritually cleansed us already once for all at the cross. And so when we talk about being covered in his blood as Christians, benefiting from the blood of Christ, we are now speaking in metaphorical terms of that once-for-all cleansing. Now, for some, however, the objection runs deeper than that sort of instinctive aversion to guts and gore. It's more philosophical and revolves around the idea of God's justice. If God is the source of justice, if God is the author of salvation, then how is it he decreed that there should be blood sacrifice for sin and thus set up a situation where he needed to kill his own son? His son needed to die for the sins of the world. Isn't that just deeply unpleasant that's a very big question a deep philosophical question and we won't fully know the answer to it until we meet God himself in the new creation but we do know this that although the cross was awful it was also a moment of great glory and that God has designed everything for his own glory our home groups have recently been looking at John's gospel we've been reading through John quite slowly we've got to chapter 13 And what was it that Jesus said at the Last Supper in chapter 13 of John? He said, now is the Son of Man glorified, as he looked forward to the next few hours after that Last Supper and the cross, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. A horrible death to have to die, a horrible sacrifice to have to make, but yet one that brought God glory. Much better much more glorious, a suffering saviour than a detached deity who just looks down on us and doesn't get involved. And the benefits of that suffering that Jesus went through, the freedom we enjoy from the penalty of sin, that's what Jesus is pleading for us in that divine courtroom, so that we now can live free from the weight of sin, free from the weight of guilt, knowing full, full, forgiveness and freedom in him, bought at a great cost by his great love. And so we don't make light of, we don't forget how awful sin is, but we also don't wallow in it in the way that Neil Tennant perhaps did. It has been defeated once for all and paid for. Now given how clearly central and vital Jesus's sacrifice is to Christian life, as John makes clear from the opening verses of this chapter it is sad that that's atoning sacrifice that substitutionary atonement that jesus made for us on the cross has been attacked by some theologians in recent decades some of them have put off the idea of sacrifice and they downgrade the cross to simply an example of giving to others of service or a victory over evil the cross certainly is those things. It is an example of selfless sacrifice. It is an example and a, a reality of victory over evil. But it's those things secondarily, and only following derivative from the central aspects, which is the substitutionary atonement, won there. Jesus's sacrifice uh, gives us power in Christian life. If we remove it, we remove assurance, peace with God, and salvation itself. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We say those words, as I reminded us two weeks ago, in the communion service, the comfortable words, the fourth set of comfortable words before we have communion. And this bit of the liturgy was deliberately added in uh, quite late in the development of the communion service in 1544 by the Archbishop of Cologne, Herman of Vied. He was a Roman Catholic Archbishop, but he knew that Christians were laboring under uh, a sh- the weight of guilt, the weight of sin. He became a, a Lutheran, a Protestant, and he added this bit in to the mass, to the communion service in order to help people understand that the fear of punishment was gone with the blood of Christ atoning for them. He wanted to use the Bible itself to reassure people at that main service of the church that the cross was sufficient, totally sufficient, for salvation, and that its application was efficient in the hands of a wonderful advocate. And we can have that same wonderful assurance today. Jesus is our advocate Jesus is our sacrifice. Let's pray now and thank God for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all that Jesus did at the cross for us. Thank you that he willingly went to that sacrifice, shed his blood to cleanse us from all sin, to bring us to your light and perfection. May we all make benefit and take on board that sacrifice say yes to it embrace it thank you for it and so come to your wonderful light in the fullness of time in jesus name amen